Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. time. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Onkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of The Well-Endowed Podcast. The Well-Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well-Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com. Nita, do you put weird stuff on your grilled cheese sandwich? Not usually. I'm not very exciting when it comes to grilled cheese sandwiches. You're just a plain grilled cheese? Cheese, bread, butter. That makes me a grilled cheese sandwich. Not big on additional toppings. No. On occasion, I have thrown a slice of ham in there to make it a ham and cheese sandwich. Not very often. But uh, not a big fan of, uh, say, kimchi. (laughs) To be fair, you're not a big fan of kimchi. I'm not a big fan of kimchi to begin with. I don't do pickled or spicy very well. It's It's just the way my taste buds work. Fair enough. I mean, which is... Strange, because you actually do quite like Indian cuisine. I do. Um, I like the watered-down white Canadian version of it, (laughs) though. But yes, I do love Indian food. Uh, I bring it up because, of course, Johnny, in this chapter, makes herself a kimchi grilled cheese sandwich. (laughs) A weird grilled cheese sandwich. Uh, And apparently, uh, frequently, tops her grilled cheese with something. Yes. <laughs> whatever whatever happens to strike her fancy that particular day. Indeed. I know that you are a fan of grilled cheese, but uh have never really seen you put anything weird on yours, so. Eh, I have my weird foods. I just don't do it with my grilled cheese sandwiches. There you go. That's true. You do have some weird foods. I do have weird. We Everyone has weird foods. We don't, won't get into all of your weird foods right now. We don't, don't give me that look. Everyone has a weird thing they eat that grosses other people out. Turning to a recap of our last <laughs> chapter, they went back to Johnny's place where they attempted and failed to get a good night's sleep after Johnny kind of, sort of, explained some things to Nick. Uh, kind of, kind of, sort of, mostly, vaguely, yeah. And that leads us into chapter five of Beneath the Rising by Premi Mohammed. So we begin with Nick being driven to work by Rutger, seemingly unfollowed by the Slenderman. (laughs) Seemingly. Rutger? Rutger's an interesting character. Yeah, we haven't gotten to know him very much. Not really. I think there's a lot more to him than we've been given, definitely. And I think he has some hidden talents that are going to, at some point, come to light. Quite possibly. Nick is actually surprised when Rutger initiates the conversation this morning. Apparently that's not a common occurrence. Yeah, he's not a talker. Yeah, and, and Nick clearly doesn't care for Rutger all that much. And I don't mean like he doesn't like Rutger. It's just Rutger is so tied to Johnny's science world that I feel like Nick finds that off-putting. The two of them don't really get along because they have nothing in common. 
Oh, yeah. It's, Johnny. Johnny is the only thing they have in yeah, common. Yeah, so it's not that he doesn't like Rutger. It's just that he and Rutger have no common touchstones other than Johnny. And so they just kind of, like, acknowledge one another. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. But Rutger does talk to him this morning and is concerned about Johnny. And Nick kind of deflects and is just like, you know what? She's just run down with all the travel and inventing this reactor thing. And Rutger's like, yeah, about that reactor thing. She kind of explained to me what it's about. And based on all the science that I understand, it's impossible. It should not work. Right? That was very interesting to me. That Rutger's like, her science shouldn't work. It, it was definitely a uh, bombshell at the top of this chapter. Right? So either it's over his head, which seems kind of unlikely, mm. to be honest, or there's more to this reactor that Johnny isn't letting on. I'm going to say it's almost certainly the latter. I have a theory, which we'll get into after we've recapped the chapter. Yes. Nick clocks in to work just in the nick of time. No pun intended. Uh, heads to the bakery to do some inventory and is promptly attacked by a monster. Yeah, so Nick gets accosted by Evil yeah, he's, in he's, the storeroom. He's not at work 10 minutes and Evil is all up in the storeroom. The lights go out, the door slams shut, and something reeking in squamous grabs him by the arm. And it takes him a second to calm himself down because he, he actually reasons with surprise and clarity. If whatever has me intended to kill me, I'd be dead. Right? Like, I'd already be just a red smear on the walls. So clearly it does not want to kill me. Kind of calms himself, and as his eyes adjust, he recognizes the, the Slenderman. Yeah. The creepy evil thing is now super close up. Smells real bad. Yeah. We will come to know later in this chapter that the Slenderman is actually named Drazenoth. I see no reason not to just start calling him Drazenoth at this juncture. Drazenoth does indeed not want to harm Nick. It is here under a flag of parlay. It doesn't say that. <laughs> no. Drosnoth does ask after Johnny and asks if she has told him anything. And Nick says... <laughs> Sorry, you said asks after Johnny as though, as though this, this evil slithering thing is like, so how's she doing? <laughs> Haven't seen her in a while. Say hi for me. Nick does confirm, more or less honestly, Johnny hasn't told me much because she, she actually hasn't. <laughs> No, she really hasn't. She's, She's given him a broad overview and very little else. Yeah, not a lot of detail. <laughs> uh, Drazenoth says that she called to them. And I'm assuming when he says them, he's referring to the ancient ones in, in total. Yeah, them with a capital yeah. T. And that she's using something new to the world that she should not possess, that should not be here. Nick isn't entirely certain what to make of this, certainly in this juncture. But Drazenoth is like, listen, pal, got a deal for you. Either bring me the thing that should not be, or just get rid of Johnny. Works either way. If you do one of those two things for me, you'll get rewarded. And Nick's like, I don't think there's anything that the Ancient Ones can offer me that would satisfy me as a reward. And Drazenoth's like, well, here's the thing. You're going to lose everything. And when you do, maybe remember this offer. And disappears back up into the shadows. You made Drazi sound way cooler <laughs> then he actually comes across in the book. <laughs> uh, he, very much a nice world you got here. Shame if something should happen to it sort of attitude. And <laughs> and Nick definitely reads it that way, too. Except except he did it evil and hissing and smelly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because he's not of this world. He's an alien monster. The lights snap back on. Door opens. 
because he's been making a bit of a ruckus. He did try to bang down the door at one point, and some of his coworkers are like, you you all right there, bro? <laughs> Nick kind of makes some excuses for the weirdness and kind of resets himself over the course of the day by just, like, funneling himself back into his work because it's such a monotonous and repetitive job that it actually calms him down to just fall back into the routine. <laughs> After work, he heads home, stays there for eight seconds, hops in the car and heads over to Johnny's, and she's expecting him. He notes that because she's cooking up more than one of her famous grilled cheese sandwiches when he arrives. Uh, he's not feeling too good, though, because he's still dwelling on all of that that just happened earlier in the day. I'm not so sure about that myself, because he doesn't mention feeling weird dizziness until he gets to the house. That's a fair observation, actually. And it's the same weird dizziness he had because of her little shoebox reactor. Yeah, so it's. I would go so far as to say it's entirely possible that the house is tainted with dark energies right now and that might be what was upsetting him yeah yeah sound observation i think it's if if not the house then specifically her reactor nick quickly spills the beans here hey uh that slenderman found <laughs> me at my at my work so evil accosted me at work yeah she quickly clarifies what happened and also asks if drozanath offered him a covenant which is a strange and specific word for her to use here yes but it's also a very johnny thing to do to assume that who she's talking to has all of the context and knowledge that she does and knows exactly what she's talking about but it's weird that she didn't say did he make you an offer or did he offer you a deal no she specifically says yes did it offer you a covenant, covenant. yes because she knows what she's talking about yeah but nick doesn't but so once again she has to adjust her language to him you're looking at it from nick's perspective yes i am i'm looking at it from johnny's perspective i know and i'm thinking she uses that term for a reason we'll get to that yes i know nick says yeah he did offer me a deal but uh, and kind of a threat as well when i declined but i did decline he was saying that everything's going to be taken away from me and that I should, and I'm a little worried about that. And Johnny, as usual, just turns it right back around on her. It's never about Nick. She literally just, well, everything will be, will be taken away from me too and everyone because that's what these guys do. Really kind of focusing on the bigger picture and not what might have been a very specific and direct threat made to Nick. Right. That's kind of in keeping with Johnny's character as well. You, you wonder if she's not deflecting because she can't deal with the concept of horrible things happening to Nick and or his family. Well, here's the thing. She even says later on in the chapter, and this is skipping a little bit ahead, that what she perceives Drozanath is doing here is strategically targeting someone next to her in order to get to her. She's framing it as, oh, he's not after you, Nick. And if he hurts you, he's hurting you to get to me. It's all about me. She doesn't say those words, no. but that is the subtext of her entire line of thinking. Here. It is. But it's also entirely possible that that might be the case. But that, that she might not be being egotistical; she might just be being truthful. That I'm, I'm willing to bet she almost is being truthful, and that Drozanath is making an end run around her because he can't target her specifically. We'll get into that in a minute. But it's still missing the point that Nick is in immediate danger. She's oh, not looking at agreed. it from the perspective of my friend is in danger. She's looking at it from the perspective of, my friend is in danger and that might harm me somehow. Yes. Johnny is also kind of putting up a bit of a bravado front here. Nick can see the panic, but she keeps telling him that everything's going to be fine. Because 
the way she frames it is you look at all these ancient empires that have fallen, which I have reason to believe were all smashed to bits by the ancient ones in, in times past. But in the end, there was history still to be written about it. There were survivors. Even if everything goes to pot here, people will survive and continue on. It's not going to be the end of the world, buddy. That's basically where she's she's going with this. As though that's somehow going to make him <laughs> feel better. It does not. It does not. He even says, like, this, is, this isn't exactly the same thing here, though. Like, you're talking about great men making deals with gods in order to do great things and then angering the gods by slighting them somehow and being smote for it. And I don't see how that exactly equates to what's going on here. And she course corrects and is like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> Probably this has something to do with the reactor. That must be what woke them up. This is also when she name drops Drazenath and explains who he is. She actually calls him an Igigi, which is a term for a Mesopotamian god. Okay. He is a being who watches the earth and is apprentice, the greatest apprentice, perhaps, to that most terrible of them, Azagthoth. Do you just want to go right into the Lovecraft box or do you want to save that for down the road? <laughs> oh, I don't think we need to save it. It is very Lovecraftian. So Azathoth is a Lovecraftian entity. He is the demon sultan at the center of all creation. He is the seething nuclear chaos of the universe. He is basically a giant mad god. Um, and I use the word mad here loosely because that would imply that it has some kind of consciousness that we could understand. Do we have an Azathoth? We do not. I have no icons or statues of Azathoth in our basement. Who's the who's the little green dude surrounded by all the Cthulhu's? Oh, that's Nyarlathotep. Nyar We're going to get to him in just a second because Nyarlathotep is the messenger of Azathoth. So I'm going to suggest that Drazenoth is a one-to-one Nyarlathotep stand-in. Okay. Now Nyarlathotep in the Lovecraftian mythos is a uh, is a deity who has a vested interest in Earth, knows humans very well, is a tempter. Uh, sort of a devil figure, and wears a thousand faces. He could be anyone at any time, anywhere. Because that's how he rolls. Sweet dreams, everybody. Now, the way Johnny explains Drazenoth, he is essentially a master sociologist. And I would even go so far as to say beyond that, he is more like a master of psychohistory. <laughs> yep, okay. For those unfamiliar with the term, it's a fictional science invented by Isaac Asimov for the Foundation series, which combines history, sociology, and math in order to predict future behavior. Basically, you look at the history of a society and you can suss out how it will act in the future. This is basically what Foundation is all about. It's about mapping out the course of human history. Drazenoth can see those possibilities. He can look at the present and see what might happen and act on those possibilities. And what Johnny is suggesting is that because the reactor represents something so big and so monumental, like free, unlimited, clean energy for all of Earth... The possibilities are endless. This has created kind of a, a nexus of possibilities that drew its attention and woke up the ancient ones. Yeah. Is her hypothesis here. Uh, I, she, she uses the analogy of it being a really bright spot in the dark. Nick wonders if the ancient ones just want the reactor to mess with humans at this juncture. That maybe Drazenoth is just running some kind of magic con, or maybe they need the reactor in order to open the open the doors further, and that's why he wants to get his hands on it. But the more he actually thinks about it through the chapter, the more this theory of his falls apart. Yeah. And it's partly because he doesn't have all of the pieces, because Johnny is 
not giving him all of the pieces. They have a little brief sidebar talking about hot foods. <laughs> the difference between Asian hot and Caribbean hot. Yes. They take, I love that they take a moment to just be normal people just for a second. And I think maybe Johnny is doing it so that Nick's mind doesn't explode. Well, and also to give her some breathing room to think because she's clearly doing that. Because mm. she's going to make a, a hard left turn in the conversation. It's what she does best. Uh, they do bring up the delicious red sauce from Taco Time. <laughs> Love that red sauce. Scott really loves Taco Time. I miss Taco Time. I have not had it since the pandemic started. The only nearby Taco Times are all in food courts and malls. And one does not lightly go into a mall during a global pandemic. No. <laughs> so I have not gone to Taco Time in some time. And I crave it. And I crave that red sauce. <laughs> Think Talking about it right now makes me want it. Johnny does make her hard left turn here and tells Nick, you need to get your family out of town. You need to pack up your mom, the kids, just get out of Dodge, ASAP. She also uses a bit of a loaded term here. She says, essentially, you claim that you turned down his, his deal. So, I mean, you should pack up and go. And Nick is straight insulted. It's like, yeah. how dare you? How <laughs> dare you? How would you even entertain the thought that I'd betray you? But Johnny is actually not angry here. She is very coldly rational about it. And the way she explains it is, as we said before, Drazenath is putting pressure on you to put pressure on me. So the easy out is to remove you from the equation so that he has to basically just focus on me, which is kind of what she was trying to do earlier that day as well when she sent him to work. Yeah, she's trying to keep him safe. Yeah. So, like, I will do whatever I can to help you. Rutger can do whatever he can to help you. Like, we're both at your disposal to get you and your family to safety. Nick recognizes the danger, and he kind of numbly agrees in the moment, but his mind is also really focused on the short-term ramifications of this. Because Johnny comes from a world of privilege, where packing up and jet-setting across to another country today, not a big deal. She can continue her work from wherever she is. She has all of her people at her beck and call. Leaving the house unattended is not even an afterthought. And she has no one else she needs to look after. It's a privilege that she does not recognize that she has that Nick doesn't. Because for Nick, he's talking about a situation in which he and his mom could both lose their jobs. Yep. In which they have to pull the kids out of school early before the end of the school year. Yep. The fact that the city might cite them for not maintaining their yard. Yeah. So they'd have to rope someone in to watch over the house yeah. while they're gone. Someone has to check the mail. Yeah, and it seems like such mundane stuff to be focused on when there are supernatural monsters looking to harm you and the ones closest to you, but these are the realities of his world. Yeah. And her, she's asking him to blow up his world to save his life. Yeah, and she's being very like blasé about it. Because again, to her, it's not a big deal. Right? Tomorrow she could get up and go to Japan. On a whim, and mm -hmm. it wouldn't be a thing. Not really. But for Nick, that is uprooting, literally uprooting his family. Yeah. So Nick, realizing the magnitude of this ask, basically kind of falls back on a plea to authority here. He's like, well, what if we just call the police? You know, we'll, we'll say it's a stalker. We'll leave out all the magic stuff. But, like, we'll get the authorities involved. And she rightly is like, what do you think the police can do in this situation? Put a guy at the door. And what's that going to do? Nothing. In fact, it would probably do less than nothing because then you're adding bureaucracy that could impede her efforts to try to fix the problem. And 
might just be more people in the way that get hurt. Yeah. Nick's like, well, well, hold on. You said last night that you had called up some people who can help, right? What if they could do something? And she's like, no, no. These people are more like librarians. They are keepers of knowledge, but they don't really have any practical use. Yes. <laughs> she didn't She didn't call up her ninja squad. No. She called up her brain trust. Yeah. He wonders what makes her think that she can do something practical because it's like you've only read all this stuff out of books too. What do you think you can do that's practical? She actually deflects here and it's because she doesn't want to give the answer. Mm. Um, and again, we're building up to it. I'm going I'm to lay out my <laughs> oh, theory. Scott's got a great theory. She chides him, however, on his instinct to go running for help from adults. And this is actually a fair observation because all through the book so far, there have been a number of occasions where Nick's knee-jerk reaction to something is, God, I wish there was an adult here. <laughs> because he's still young enough that he has that mindset that he's not old enough to deal with these problems. And that if only there were a sensible adult around, there would be someone here who could take care of it for me. Johnny assures him she's the only one who knows what to do. Nick is actually a little stunned by her arrogance here, but also finds her confidence a little contagious and a little comforting. In the same way that he found her terror to be extra frightening. Yeah. He agrees to do something about his family, a little reluctantly, but also asks to hold off on involving Rutger quite yet. And she's like, it's fine. He doesn't know about this conversation. I sent him on some errands earlier. And Nick's like, then who did I just hear in the hallway? They stop and hear a door creaking, which is a sound no door in the house can make. She says, you should stay here while I investigate. And he says, ah, hell nah. And that is where the chapter ends. But he actually says is, and I quote, like balls I'm staying here. I love this line very much because it is how I talk. And that is where we end off chapter five. So I have a theory. And it actually plays off of something that I came up with in an epiphany while we were recording last chapter. Hit me with your theory. I've stumbled onto a major company conspiracy, Mac. How about that for stress? What the hell are you talking about? This company is being bled like a stuck pig, Mac, and I got a paper trail to prove it. Check this out. Take a look at this. Johnny notes in this chapter, she actually calls the Ancient Ones, quote, not too bright. These aren't rocket scientists we're dealing with here. She is very arrogantly thinking that she is smarter than these extraterrestrial alien gods. Yes. This coupled with her earlier comment about being offered a covenant, again, a very specific term, to Nick, and mentioning in previous chapters that she had attracted Drozanoth's attention some time back when she was younger. I think Johnny's already made a covenant with the Ancient Ones. Yes, indeed. And that is why she has been able to build an impossible reactor. Mm. And maybe why she spent several years of her life nearly working herself to death because she was acting as though she had no time left. Go on. I think it's possible Johnny has made a deal with world-ending devils in order to do impossible things for the human race and thinks that she is going to bilk them out of their end of the bargain. You think she's going to outsmart the devil? No, I think she thinks she's going to outsmart the devil. <laughs> and I think that the devil is that the devil is calling do right now. And I think that that's the reason why she's pretty confident that Drozanath can't come after her directly and why she felt so confident that she ran off to go and save the twins when he was skulking around in the woods all slender manny a couple chapters ago because he can't come after her directly. Part of the covenant, probably. Could be, yeah. 
If she made a deal, we don't know what the terms of said deal are. The implication is that she made that deal when she was five years old. Which is bonkers. Again, I'm not trying to dismiss her as a super genius here because to do what she did, summon alien gods and make a deal with them at such a young age would still require genius intelligence. Yes. It is also exactly the kind of thing that a kid would do without really thinking of the ramifications. The kind of things a a five-year-old would do? Because Johnny is essentially gambling all of our existences on her ability to outsmart alien gods. Yes. And that is not mere arrogance. That is straight-up gods and kings hubris. Yes. (laughs) If you're right, yes. Yeah, and it means that she has indirectly put Nick in harm's way. And I imagine he will be furious when he finds out the truth, if indeed this completely irresponsible speculation (laughs) is the truth. It is based on some evidence, but it's not concrete. But it would explain why Johnny knows so much, why she's used such loaded terms, her ability to do impossible things, and how she was able to invent an impossible engine now. The whole speech about how easy it is to anger the gods, how you're not the one great man anymore and suddenly it's blasphemy. Yeah, because that whole bit. I think she's talking about herself. Oh, yeah. She's the great man in this uh, analogy and she has angered the gods by building this engine and breaking reality or doing something blatantly impossible and now she's in for a smiting. <laughs> Maybe? The thing is, though, she is clearly one of our protagonists and we want her to win. <laughs> Well, I want her to be smarter than these alien gods, or the world will end. Basically, yes. Mm. One would have to assume that if this is true, there will be consequences, though. Yes. Yeah. And unfortunately, the way it's looking, those consequences are mostly going to be falling on Nick. And it's going to really strain their friendship. Yeah. That's going to suck. Especially if, again, it turns out down the road that she is responsible for all this. Yes. He's going to be real angry about that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I would be. I would be too. Also, if evil had accosted me while I was at work, I might have just passed out and possibly pooped my pants. I might have I might have at least taken the afternoon. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Would not would not have been okay. Anyway, that's my early book hypothesis. Very good. It's a good theory. I like it. I think it's uh surprisingly sound considering the lack of evidence that we have for it. Well, I think there's enough evidence to make this hypothesis. Yes. Um, but again, we, we don't know everything. And it would definitely imply that uh, Johnny is not being entirely forthright with Nick. That doesn't surprise me, based on the Johnny we know so far. And I mean, it, it might be well-intentioned. It might be because she thinks that the more he knows, the more danger he's in. It might also be a little selfish. If I tell him the truth, he's going to be really angry at me. And I don't want to jeopardize my friendship with Nikki. Being the only friend that she has. Yeah. Really. Yeah. 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 Anyway. I just need to know that Nick's family is going to be okay. Like, really deep down, I need to know that his family is going to be all right. Well, I am going to uh, put my hand gingerly on your shoulder. And I'm going to smile, look (laughs) you in the eye, and say, we picked this book off of the horror shelf. I know. You... You picked this book off the horror shelf. This one's on you. Yeah. Uh, So it might not have an entirely happy ending. (sighs) Very well. Uh, Just because it's a horror comedy doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's going to get out completely unscathed. Okay, fair enough. That was true with Edgar Cantero's kids. I know, I know. Though it did have a happy ending. True. What do you think's in the hallway? Something. (laughs) 
Well, that's super vague. I mean, hard to say. We don't know all of the creatures that are arrayed against them at the moment. It could just be Drozanath keeping an eye on them. Mm. I hope that it is Benjamin Franklin's science octopus. It's been sneaking around listening to them. Maybe. I mean. Just escaped from his tank. Is like, I'm just going to go on a tour of the house. Octopodes have been known to escape from tanks. True. Maybe it's Rutger. Right? Uh, it could be Rutger. It's almost certainly not Rutger. Could be. Right? It might. It need not be a scary thing to scare me. Uh, maybe it's the uh, chemistry robot <clears throat> spying on them. <laughs> getting ready to do some science on Nick. <laughs> The way he knows it's always wanted to. Corner him and do some science. Anyway, uh, maybe we'll find out what it is that's lurking in the house as we move into chapter six of our novel. You'll want to read up on that in time for next week. And uh, in the meantime, uh, here's a podcast. Make Shift by Albury Innovates your next podcast binge. Join us as we take a deep dive with the people that are driving Alberta's 21st century economy. These global movers and shakers are working to solve today's challenges, create new opportunities, and build a healthy, sustainable, and prosperous future for Albertans today and for generations to come. Just when you think you know all about Alberta, we're here to shift your perspective. I don't know if I could stress this enough. We have a top three institution in arguably the most important technology in the entire world right now. We will prove a lot of people wrong by coming out of this even stronger. And the way we will do it is by finding ways to help businesses be cash flow positive and by willing to, you know, find the ways that we can help. We're just starting to scratch the surface. And I mean, Calgary just this uh, last month announced the fact that they broke their record again for venture capital investment. And some of this is in fintech, some of this is in a whole bunch of different areas where we originally didn't even you know, have these types of core industries in Alberta. We have diversification in our DNA. We just have forgotten about it. Sincerely, we are blessed in Alberta to have all the infrastructure that we do have. Tune in to Shift by visiting shift.albertainnovates.ca or your favorite podcast app. Yeah, Shift by Alberta Innovates. If the blurb sounded good, give it a listen. Talking about things like clean energy. Yeah. Something that is touched on in this book as well. Uh Yeah. So anyway, you can uh, check out that and you can also check out all of the member podcasts of the Alberta Podcast Network right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. All eight bazillion of them. The number keeps going up every time you say it. And it is wildly inaccurate. (laughs) You can uh, find the member podcasts as well, uh, likely on all of the podcatchers of your choice. While you're there, it's probably where you're downloading our podcast. You might consider giving us a little rating and a review. Yeah, we'd like that. That'd we would nice. love We would love to give you rewards for doing it, but we do not have the infrastructure set up for it. <laughs> afraid, afraid not. Yeah, that's the one of the downsides of doing your podcast cheap is free. That's true. <laughs> um, is that you, you lack the uh, logistical networks of uh, other much more professionally done podcasts. <laughs> you can uh, also reach out to us on social media. Yes. Uh, pick your poison from Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. That's where we are. We are at the read along on most of those. And you can also hit us up on email. We are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Are you craving a grilled cheese?
Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.